All right, well, we're, we're up to the halfway point through the book of uh, Jeremiah. And we're, we're going to be covering parts of at least three sections in our outline. We're going to finish up warnings and exhortations to Judah. Then we'll do a little short section called Promises of Restoration. And finally, another short section called the Historical Insertion, which doesn't take too much. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. Um, this is the timeline that covers most of the period of the book of Jeremiah. Um, and really, it's just um, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah are the three kings that really count. Um, Jeremiah did prophesy in up here in the reign of uh, Josiah. Um, what relation was Josiah to um, to uh, Jehoahaz or Jehoiakim or Zedekiah? Father, yeah, he had one, two, three sons. Reign all reign on the throne, and one grandson. How many of those four people were good kings? It's <laughs> pretty sad. Was Josiah a good king? Yeah, he was. But none of his. Well, no, he 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 did fine all the whole time. He just had an unfortunate early demise when he tried to head off the Egyptians. <laughs> um, yeah, he was good, uh, but none of his sons were, and nor his grandson, who got to reign for three months at the age of 18. <laughs> Spent the rest of his, well, not the rest of his life, but quite a few years in prison. He actually got released before he died. Um, now, on the right, we have the, the deportations. The first one was not by Nebuchadnezzar. The first one was, was by Pharaoh taken to Egypt. That was Jehoaz. Daniel and a few royal hostages in 607. Um, that was probably before Nebuchadnezzar actually became king. Um, he, he, was, he was in that area when he got word that his dad had died and he had to rush back really quick to claim the kingdom. And apparently, he took some royal hostages with him. We get that from the beginning of Daniel. Um, I don't think this, this deportation is mentioned at all in the book of Jeremiah. The one about Jehoahaz is mentioned once, to my knowledge. Uh, the big deportation is down here. Uh, at, the, at the end of Jehoiakim, uh, his reign, 10,000 people were taken captive, which included Jehoiakim. And not mentioned in Jeremiah, but Ezekiel was taken captive then as well. And so mo nearly every time in the book of Jeremiah when it talks about the people that have already been taken captive, it's talking about this one here. <clears throat> And then there's a final one that we haven't got to yet. Most of the rest of the people, including Zedekiah, were taken in 586 B.C. Now, Jeremiah jumps around. He, he, fortunately, he, he usually gives some dates as to when he's making a prophecy. But you have to watch. If he says it's in a certain year of the King Jehoiakim, then that's actually before the deportations that, that are, are talked about in Jeremiah. If it's in the reign of Zedekiah, then we've got one deportation that's already happened, and it's a, a very major one. And we'll talk about that some more in this morning's lesson, because uh, for these people left, this deportation was just, um, it was just earth-shaking to them that the greater part of their population could have been taken away captive. The gold 
uh, vessels of the temple and things like that were all taken. The temple was still standing, but he'd taken all the stuff that was really valuable. And they were left just uh, very few in number. Uh, and we're going to see what, what their attitude is about that as we, as we look at these lessons this morning. Okay, so more on warnings and agitation to Judah. Chapter 24, the baskets of figs. How many baskets are there in this chapter? Two baskets. What do the two baskets look like? Or the figs, actually. <laughs> oh yeah, the first basket is great. Oh, beautiful figs. And the second one? You just couldn't get worse figs. Now, I'm not a real connoisseur of figs myself, but I assume that if he says they're so bad you can't eat them, that I would not be interested in what does the good basket represent? Yes, now this is interesting. See, God is trying to get these people to, to adjust to this new reality. The captives have already been taken are the good figs, meaning God's going to do them good. That doesn't mean He's going to rush out and bring them back. Because what's the bad basket represent? No, eventually they probably do, but this um, this is it toward the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah. The ones who stayed in the land. Right, the ones that just didn't happen to get taken captive. Yeah. Now, as Marshall said, eventually they're going to go to Egypt. We haven't got there yet. Um, and this has to do with what's God, what God God's immediate actions toward these two groups is going to be. His immediate action is going to be toward the ones that have been deported. He's going to bless them. He's going to take care of them. Not necessarily bring them back soon, but at least bless them. The ones that are left in the land, what's He going to do to them? Yeah, they're going to... Just terrible things are going to happen to them. Um, In verse 8, I will abandon Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials, and the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land and the ones who dwell on the land... Oh, I see, that's where you're getting that from, Marcia. The ones who dwell on the land of Egypt. Yeah. I don't know where... We haven't had any mention of them going to Egypt yet. But yeah, you're right. There were some in Egypt. Um, unless he was talking in the future, because I know toward the end of the book they they all go to Egypt, which is not... God's not happy about that. Um, and verse 10, I was in the sword, the famine, and the pestilence upon them until they are destroyed from the land which I gave to them and their forefathers. So he's trying to get these people to adjust to the fact that, you know, they're all, the people who are left in the land, they're all feeling sorry for the ones that have gone captive. And God's saying, don't feel sorry for them. You need to feel sorry for yourselves. You're the ones that are going to suffer because you're these bad figs here. Alright, then uh, chapter 25, the captivity of Judah and the judgment against all nations. Now this is kind of interesting because it covers more than just the ones that have been taken captive from Judah. But first I want to look at that. In verse 11, he tells in his prophecy how long the captivity is going to last. And how long is that? 70 years. Yeah, 70 years. This, this number 70 is going to be mentioned several more times in Jeremiah. Um, and then later on um, in the book of Daniel, Daniel uh, has studied the book of Jeremiah. And, and he's aware of that 70 as well. Um, so in verse 12, 
What's going to happen when the 70 years are completed? Yeah, then Babylon's going to get punished because they're wicked as well. Um, but now, in verse 15, this, this gets interesting. We, we've been talking just about, mostly about Judah, of course, a little bit about Babylon. But in verse 15, the Lord, the God of Israel said to me, Take this cup of the wine of wrath from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. Now he's sending him to more than just Judah at this point. He's sending him, and he, and he lists down here. I'm not going to go through it, but a little bit later he lists nations all different directions all around Judah. They're all going to have to drink this wine of the, uh, this cup of God's wrath. And he tells Jeremiah, "Give it to them to to drink." And, and in verse 17 he says, "So I took the cup and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it." I have no idea. How, how he did that, except that I, I think he just preached to them, told them what they're going to have to do, because there wasn't a real cup. <laughs> but and the um, Lord anticipates that they might refuse. Uh, yes, yeah, he anticipates they might refuse. And so in verse 28, he says, if they refuse, what's, what's uh, Jeremiah supposed to say to them? The Lord says, you shall surely. Yeah, the Lord says, you're going to drink this. Um, for behold, I am beginning to work calamity in this city which is called by my name. And shall you be completely free from punishment? What's the difference between the city called by his name and those nations that he was preaching to? They were the enemies of God's Yeah, they were all Gentiles. They were not God's people. Many of them were had been enemies and, and proved to be enemies in the time coming up. Although, in fact, shortly after this, we find that a lot of these nations are trying to team up with Zedekiah to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. So they're not always enemies, but they're not God's people. And so um, the point God is making is, look, if I'm going to punish my own people for their sins, what do you think is going to happen to all you Gentile people out here that are, are sinning? And the answer is, it's not going to be very good. They're going to have to pay for it too. Um, Alright. Um, now in the next chapter, we have an attempt to actually kill Jeremiah. It's not the last time, unfortunately. Um, now we're back in the reign of who at this point? This is verse, chapter 26. Jehoiakim. Yeah, back in the reign of Jehoiakim. Um, which means how many of the captivities have happened so far? Yeah, only the one where Daniel and his friends get taken captive. Very minor. So they're still thinking, hey, you know, we're okay. And of course, what's Jeremiah trying to tell them? You're not. <laughs> yeah, you're not okay. You have problems coming up. Um, so in verse 8, when he finished preaching, What's the reaction of the people and the priests? You must die. Yeah, you must die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord saying, this house will be like Shiloh and this city will be desolate without inhabitant? Now, what, did, what was this thing about Shiloh? That was the former home of the tabernacle. Yeah. This goes way back um, in the days... Um, it. Well, it it goes really from the days of the judges 
Joshua, Judges, all the way ending in the time of Samuel. And what happened when Samuel was still fairly young to Shiloh? Philistines took the ark, killed the priests that were there, um, and Shiloh was abandoned. It never was. It never again was Shiloh the place where God's house was. There was a big gap, and then and then David built the um, he built a tent in Jerusalem and Solomon and replaced it with the temple. Um, so the, if these people would think about it, they'd realize, you know, God has already done this once. <laughs> it's not like He can't do something to His house. But their their view is, you're just a traitor. <laughs> Um, well, the story goes on. In verse 12, um, then the officials come and get involved. First of all, it's just the priests and people, but then the government officials. And so Jeremiah just explains to them. He says, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words that you have heard. Now therefore amend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will change His mind about the misfortune which He has pronounced against you. The solution is not to kill the prophet. The solution is to listen to the prophet's message and repent. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as is good and right in your sight. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood on yourselves and on this city and on its inhabitants. For truly the Lord has sent me to you to speak all these words in your hearing. This is a a courageous way that he deals with it and, and a calm way as well. And and I don't know whether it influenced the people, but it influenced the officials. And they said, no death sentence for this man. He has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. <laughs> and then they mentioned a guy in the past, a prophet that had previously prophesied. Who's that in verse 18? Micah. Yeah, Micah. Micah of Moreshah. This is the same Micah that wrote the book of Micah. They're actually referring to the book we haven't studied yet, but it's the book of Micah. And... Um, they said, well, he said these same things, but Hezekiah, who was the king at the time, he didn't put him to death. He repented. <laughs> and um, so they recognized what Jeremiah was saying. They didn't want to bring innocent blood on themselves. And then um, we have a historical reference of another guy. This is the only place in the Bible, I think, where this guy is mentioned. In verse 20, his name is Uriah. He lived in the same, apparently, the same time as Jeroboam. I mean, as Jeremiah, because the same king, King Jehoiakim was king, and he prophesied the same kinds of things Jeremiah prophesied, I assume because God told him. And then what did he do when Jehoiakim tried to kill him? Yeah, he ran to Egypt. And did that solve the problem? And Jehoiakim sent people down and grabbed him and took him back and killed him. So, now, do you think the Lord would have been happy if Jeremiah had fled to Egypt? No, he had told Jeremiah to stand up. Yeah, he said, "You don't fear these people. <laughs> um, you fear them." You know, he says, "You fear me. Don't fear them." <laughs> um, and so Jeroboam had been careful not not to fear them, and he, he was courageous at this point. And God always saves Jer- Jeremiah. Sometimes it seems like at the last second possible. But um, for a person of faith, the last second is as good as the first second. It's, it's certain when, God, when it's in God's hands. 
But this story just shows just how bad the king was and how bad the times were, how dangerous it was for a true prophet of God. And um, poor Jeroboam, he's going to have a lot more um, difficulties with with the people, including the government officials. Um, all right, chapter 27. The nations must submit to the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. Now this is very interesting because in verse 2, what does God tell Jer- Jeremiah to make? Make uh, a yoke. Yeah, a yoke. Now what's a yoke? That's kind of the ox. Yeah, you, you put on the neck of an ox and then you tie ropes to something like a plow or, or to a cart or whatever and then the animal can pull it because... If you don't have a yoke, then how do you attach the plow to the animal? Loose. It's kind of rough on the animal. But, uh, there are uh, pictures from Roman times of horses that like being choked to death because what it is is they have a noose. Because they never had invented a, a yoke for the horse. Yeah. Well, who was this yoke for? Is this for the nations? Well, yeah. Initially, it's for Jeremiah, which so. Um, which, I mean, Jeremiah is acting this out. This is not just symbolic. I mean, it was a real yoke that he really was wearing. I mean, it, it was symbolic of, of something else. But he, he was acting this out for the people. And, and apparently this went on for some days. Because we see in the next chapter he still has it on. Um, so can you imagine every time Jeremiah walks him down the street, he's got this yoke on his, on his shoulders. People are going to get get the message, you know. What does the yoke represent? Yeah, close. It means you're working for somebody else. Yeah, and in this case, who's he going to work for? Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. What 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 the message is, folks? Accept the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was telling all these nations, "You better obey me. You better pay me tribute." And they didn't like that. They wanted to rebel. And, and apparently a number of these nations were getting together with King Zedekiah to try to form an alliance to fight against Nebuchadnezzar. And Jeremiah is telling them from God, it's not going to work, folks. You're not going to get out of this yoke. You, you, you better accept it. Um, and and he, he has some promises for them. In ver- well, first of all, as a threat, in verse 8, it will be that the nation or the kingdom which will not serve him, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, and will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with sword, with famine, and with pestilence, declares the Lord, until I have destroyed it by his hand. Um, but in verse 11, if the, if the nation will accept it, what, what, what's God going to do for them? Yeah, they get to remain on the land. Doesn't mean they don't have to pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. Doesn't mean they don't have to obey him. But at least they don't get taken uh, to some foreign place. Um, now, in the meantime, there's a there's a problem that we're going to see more and more of in these coming chapters. There are other prophets in Judah. What are these other prophets saying? Peace. Yeah. Hey, life is going to be good. The Lord's going to bless you. Verse 16, I spoke to the priests and to all this people saying, Thus says the Lord, Do not listen to the words of your prophets who prophesy to you, saying, Behold, the vessels of the Lord's house will now shortly be brought again from Babylon, for they are prophesying a lie to you. 
Now, I didn't mention this, but chapter 27 actually happens in the reign of Zedekiah. The New King James says Jehoiakim. But there's a marginal note. Probably the more accurate manuscripts have the word Zedekiah. Because in the time of Jehoiakim, the vessels of the Lord's house hadn't even been taken away. But at this time they have. And these prophets, who are not prophets of God, but claim they are, they're prophesying and saying, wow, pretty soon, God's going to bring all these gold vessels back to the temple. Um, do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and live. Why should this city become a ruin? But if they are prophets, and if the word of the Lord is with them, let them now entreat the Lord of hosts that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord, in the house of the king of Judah, and in Jerusalem may not go to Babylon. Because of course, as we know, in a very few years, Nebuchadnezzar came and took everything. The, all the bronze that was left in the temple, those huge columns called Boaz and what Jacob, uh, and, and the, uh, the, the bronze, see, all those, he just chopped them all up and just took them back to Babylon for scrap bronze he could melt down and make something else with. Um, so what, what Jeremiah is saying is, hey, you know, if these guys are prophets, they don't need to use their ability to pray to God because uh, it's going to be worse what's going to happen. And so now we have an example in chapter 28, the false prophet, Hananiah. This is still the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah. Um, and so he's in verse 1, he speaks to Jeremiah in the house of the Lord and in front of the priests, in front of the people. And what does he, what does he prophesy, Hananiah? Yeah, in fact, he gives a time frame. Two years, yeah. Within two years, um, I'm going to bring back all these vessels and, and all the people and everything. It's just going to be wonderful. Uh, Jeconiah the king, he's coming back. Um, well, now if you were living back then, which message would you rather hear? Jeremiah's or Hananiah's? <laughs> yeah, his, his is a much nicer message. Um, so, Jeremiah says in verse 6, this, this is very interesting, um, and you don't want to get the wrong impression from this, but in verse 6, Jeremiah says, Amen! May the Lord do so. May the Lord confirm your words which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all the exiles from Babylon to this place. Now, has Jeremiah been fooled by Hananiah? I mean, it, 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 does he believe that Hananiah is speaking the truth? <laughs> Why does he say amen then? He's saying, I wish. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, he's saying, I wish. And this, was a, this is a fundamental problem that these people had, that people today have. It's the same problem. And that is, they think that because Jeremiah is prophesying bad things, he wants that to happen. And so he's disloyal. He hates, he hates Israel. He hates, he's not, not patriotic. All this. And we've seen already all these private prayers that he's prayed for the people. And, and what did God say to him about those prayers? You don't pray for these people anymore. I'm not going to listen. So he's, he's done his best. He really wishes this would happen. But he knows it's not going to happen. <laughs> and he knows the worst thing in the world is for the people to believe it's going to happen. 
because that's going to prevent them from doing what, the only thing that will stop the next thing from happening. So here's what he says in verse 8. The prophets who were before me and before you from ancient times prophesied against many lands and against great kingdoms of war and of calamity and of pestilence. And of course, it's not hard to go back and find prophets like that. Um, they all prophesied bad things to happen. Now, how does that differ from what Hananiah was prophesying? Yeah, he was prophesying peace. Now, now this doesn't mean that none of these prophets in the past prophesied peace, but always the peace followed all these bad things. The whole reason God sent the prophets was because the people needed to repent. And, and that message was a message of repent or die. And then in the longer future, there was going to be peace. Well, Hannah and I skipped all the repent or die part and the, the peace is going to come real soon. And so he says in verse 9, the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, then that prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. And they'll, they'll have to wait more than two years to find this out since he gave a time frame. Well, that didn't quite end the conversation. What did Hananiah do next? Yeah, another symbol. I mean, Jeremiah's wearing the yoke, symbolizes the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, so Hananiah just grabs it, breaks it. God has broken the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. Of course, the people are just eating this up. This is just so, this is exciting. And then what did God tell Jeremiah to tell him? Yeah, you broke a yoke of wood, but you're going to get a yoke of iron. And in fact, specifically to Hananiah personally, what did he say? This year you're going to die. And that's exactly what happened. Um, the, 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 their discussion took place in the fifth month. He died in the seventh month. And that was to try to teach the people the lesson. No indication they got the message, but they could have. <laughs> now, this is the last sec the last one in our warnings and exhortations of Judah section, chapter twenty nine, a letter that Jeremiah sent to those in captivity. So now we we jump forward again. We were back um, well no, I'm sorry, we were in Zedek we were in Zedekiah's time, so we're still in, in Zedekiah's time. And we've had one captivity, all the big captivity, the ten thousand is already over there in Babylon. So Jeremiah sends sends a letter to them. Well, what's the basic message of the letter? You're going to be there a while, make yourself comfortable. Yeah, you're going to be there a while. They need to hear this. I mean, you can imagine if you were in their shoes, you've been taken captive, and your relatives relatives are still back in in Israel, and you're waiting for God to do His mighty work and take you back. And Jeremiah says, well, God's going to do the mighty work, but not now. <laughs> and I think at some point in here, he even mentions the 70 years again. I don't have the verse in front of me, but... Um, verse... Great, that's what I want. Yeah, thanks. So 70 years... Well, 70 years, that's only going to... You know, the only people who are going to live that long to see it are the ones who are quite young to start with. I mean, anyone like John's age, 
Um, you know, they're not going to make it to the 70 years. You, You've already made it 70, but you're not going to do another 70. want <laughs> um, So you might as well, you know, make your plans. Get married, you know, build houses, pray for the city that you're in. Because um, if, if that city prospers, you're going to prosper. Um, but they had a problem in captivity just like the people back in Israel had. And that's in verse 8. What's the problem? They got prophets in their midst. They got false prophets. And they're saying the same thing that that Hananiah guy had said. Hey, you know, in a couple of years and we're all going back. And um, people like to hear that kind of thing. I mean, the same thing's going on today. You, you know, you don't have to look very far on TV or on the internet. You can find people who claim to be preaching exactly what God tells them, but they're preaching a prosperity gospel. God wants you to be well off. God wants you to have a good time. Look at me, I'm well off. And, oh, that's because God has blessed me. He'll bless you too. And God wants you to send us all your money. Yeah, God wants you to send us. Uh, a faith offering. <laughs> there's people like that because there's people that would love to hear it, and it's just like um, Jeremiah said. You know that you have you have to be a little bit suspicious if a guy's only preaching peace and no responsibility, not, nothing to go with it. Um, so in verse ten, we've got the seventy years, and then God's going to visit them. Um, in verse 15 he says because you have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon <laughs> they're not the prophets that God sent unfortunately so in verse 21 he prophesied specifically about two of these guys named Ahab and um, and Zedekiah this is not King Zedekiah but two it's not King Ahab either these are just two prophets happen to have this name what's going to happen to them? a warm reception from Nebuchadnezzar yeah you remember Nebuchadnezzar the same guy that tried to to um, uh, burn up the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. And, and apparently he succeeded in burning these two guys up. And God used him to punish them because in verse 23, what had they done? Spoke falsely to God's name. Yes, and also what else? Committed adultery with Yeah. That's right up to date, isn't it? I mean, again, you, you look at these televangelists that are telling you, hey, the life's going to be great. And it doesn't take very long before the newspapers are reporting some scandal of the guy's been carrying on this whole time. Um, we had we had one a few years back that was um, he was frequenting prostitutes, and um, it didn't stop his followers. They, they still wanted even after the story came out. But it's just these guys they have no concern about God. They claim they do but no concern about God. They're simply telling people what they think the people want to hear. For personal gain. It's all it is. And that's what these prophets were doing. And it was just it was damaging the people. And so God pronounced a judgment on them. Alright, now the next section, four chapters, is promises of restoration. Um, in chapter 30, the people will be delivered from captivity. 
understand this, of course, is prophesying after the 70 years, but it's still important for the people to hear this message. Um, verse 3, Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah. Um, then he, he reviews, and, and he reviews their history, and it's really bad. In verse 12, For thus says the Lord, your wound is incurable, and your injury is serious. In verse 15, why do you cry out over your injury? Your pain is incurable. Because your iniquity is great and your sins are numerous, I have done these things to you. But then in verse 17, For I will restore you to health, and I will heal you of your wounds, declares the Lord. Um, so God is going to work with His great power to restore them. It's not, the, not them doing it. And so He prophesied, he, he predicts in verse 19, From them will proceed thanksgiving and the voice of those who celebrate. In verse 22, You shall be My people and I will be your God. In verse 24, The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until He's accomplished until He's performed and accomplished these things. The intent of His heart. In the latter days, you will understand this. So, the story continues in chapter 31. The joy to come when God restores them. Um, I want to jump all the way down to verse 15. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord, and they will return from the land of the enemy. <clears throat> I have to explain what this is talking about. Rachel, who's Rachel? Yeah, mother of Joseph and Benjamin. She was a favorite wife of uh, Jacob. She's been dead for over a thousand years at this point. Um, but she's being personified as like she's still alive here. And Ramah was a city in Benjamin, which is one of the, tri one of the tribes of her sons. And apparently... I don't have a reference for this, but the Bible Dictionary says this is probably what happened. This is probably a staging point. After Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem, he, he assembled all the people in Ramah. And at that point, they're getting ready to go on a very long journey into captivity. And a lot of the people were killed. We were going to read about this later on um, in the book of Jeremiah. A lot of the people were killed, and, and probably more than just what are mentioned in Jeremiah. Uh, they would have killed anyone they didn't think could have made the journey. You know, why should they weigh, to, weigh us down and eat up our food? Just get rid of them. And so it was a very, very sad time. So Rachel is weeping for her children, but God is predicting the time when He's going to take away their tears. Now Matthew refers to this in the book of Matthew uh, as pertaining to the killing of the babies in Bethlehem. It's not a direct prophecy of that, and Matthew doesn't think it is. Um, but it's the, it's the idea of it. The fact that Jesus was going through the same experience that His people had gone through many years before. That's what, what Matthew, the, in the Gospel of Matthew, means when he says that thus was fulfilled this, this prophecy. Um, then down to verse 31. Behold, Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, 
although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put My law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be My people. What's this a prophecy of? Yeah. It's quoted in the book of Hebrews referring to us. This is talking about the fact that the next covenant, what we call the new covenant, is a spiritual covenant. It's not a physical covenant um, with a physical sign like circumcision and where people grow up not knowing God and they have to teach the people to know God. In this new covenant, everyone in the covenant knows God and God forgives their, their sins. He will be their God and they shall be my people. So that's looking way beyond just the 70 years. That's looking forward hundreds of years to the time of Christ and even down to our, our day. Chapter 32, Jeremiah's purchase of a field. At this point, we're almost to the end of the history where in the 10th year of Zedekiah, he only reigned 11 years. Um, and the Babylonian army is outside beating on the walls. Everyone can see it's not going to be long. And Jeremiah's uncle comes in. Jeremiah's in prison. Jeremiah's uncle comes in. What does he want Jeremiah to do? Buy a piece of land for him. Yeah, buy a piece of land. A piece of land was was up in, I think it was in the province of Benjamin. It wasn't even in... in I mean, you couldn't even get there <laughs> at this point you, you, because it was all under the control of the, Nebuch- of, of the Chaldean armies. And what did God tell Jeremiah to do? Go ahead and buy it. <laughs> Go ahead and buy it. <clears throat> and of course, it's a, it's a symbol of the fact that we're not, God's not done with the people. He's going to bring them back to this land. There will, will once again be buying and and selling of land just, just like this. And Jeremiah himself has a prayer to God, you know, saying, This is this doesn't look very likely. <laughs> and so God answers in verse twenty seven, I am the Lord the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? <laughs> it may not look likely, but God, that doesn't stop God. Um, Let me see if there's anything else I want to get out of this chapter. Um, well, I think we get the idea. And the last chapter in this section on promises of restoration, I titled Future Restoration, is chapter 33. Um, and this is, this is important for us. Um, in verse 15, he says, In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. Who's that talking about? Jesus. Yes. We had him, we had the branch mentioned once before in Jeremiah. This is a prophecy of, of Jesus. Alright, now we this one we'll do this last section this morning is a historical insertion. Uh, chapter thirty four, prophecy against Zedekiah. Um, and in this case Zedekiah apparently didn't come and ask to hear this. God just told him go speak to him. Yes. And um, was it what Zedekiah would want to hear? No. <laughs> no. Um, no. You're not going to escape. He says you're. You're not going to escape. And yet he did give him one promise. What, what's the one promise he gave to Zedekiah? You'll die in peace. Yes. Um, which means he's not going to get killed by by Nebuchadnezzar. But where is he going to die in peace? 
Yeah, he's going to get carried to Babylon. There's no way around that. But people will be sorry when he dies. So um, it's not like Jehoiakim who was dragged out with the burial of a donkey. Um, now, but this story is interesting. It's here in verse 8. Um, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord Asher King Zedekiah made a covenant with all the people who were in Jerusalem to proclaim release to them. What was the covenant? What did they promise to do, each one of them? Let their servants go free. Yeah, let their servants go free. Well, what, what did God command in the law of Moses? Yeah, in the seventh year you have to let them go free. And apparently they'd gone way past the seventh year. <laughs> and, and they realized they were guilty. So they all made a covenant. In fact, he describes it how they cut a calf in half and they all marched in between the the calf, just like back in the days of Abraham when he made the covenant, when God made the covenant with him. And they promised they let their people, the, the servants go. Did they do it? They did. Wow. And in fact, apparently, and we have to read between the lines, but apparently, shortly after that, Nebuchadnezzar moved away, took his armies away from Jerusalem. Wow. What a response from God for, for this repentance. So what do they do next? <laughs> took the service back. It's a sign. They took their service back. And so, as a result, in verse 17, God says, You have not obeyed me in proclaiming release each man to his brother and each man to his neighbor. Behold, I am proclaiming a release to you, declares the Lord, to the sword, to the pestilence, to the famine. I will make you a terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Um. And he says in um, in verse 22, Behold, I am going to command, declares the Lord, and I will bring them back to this city, and they will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire, and I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. Yeah, it's pretty sad that... Um, I mean, even when these people try to repent, they just can't, they can't get it right. Their hearts just are not in it. Just, you know, it's just like it's superstition. All right, and finally, we have the Rechabites. Um, the Rechabites were descendants of, of what guy? His name is in verse 6. Yeah, Jonadab. Does anyone remember when we had a story about Jonadab? It was not a big one, but. Yeah, Linda? Yeah. Jehu was was uh, executing Jezebel and all the descendants of Ahab. And he was riding his chariot to Samaria and he sees this guy named Jonadab and he says, is your heart with my heart? And Jonadab says it is. He says, hey, give me your hand. And he brings him up in the chariot and takes him into Samaria and has him watch while he slaughters every worshiper of Baal. And that's the last we have of Jonadab until now. And now we learn that Jonadab had commanded his descendants to do something. What was that? Well, not to drink wine, but not to plant a vineyard. Yeah, don't drink wine, don't plant a vineyard, don't even own a house. Um, so part of part of that sounds to me like a Nazarite vow, although he was not a Jew. This is a different this is these were a different tribe. But it sounds like a, a Nazarite vow, but the part about not only a house, it sounds like John Deb has seen enough of politics to want nothing to do with it anymore. He doesn't want his people to get involved in it. 
And so just live in tents, stay away from all this stuff. It's nothing but evil. So now that's been a lot of years, hundreds of years. And so God tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah to do what with these Rechabites? Serve them wine. And what do they say when he serves them the wine? Do they say, well, just to be polite, we'll go ahead and drink it? No, they explain the situation. They explain the situation. Well, why, why was God doing this if He knew they were going to turn them down? Well, these people were faithful to a man long distance. Yeah, that's the message. Here these people are faithful to their ancestors, just a human being. You people aren't faithful to God the Father. Does that make sense, he's saying? And, and of course, it doesn't make sense. But finally, at the end of the chapter, he does give a promise to these people of Rechab. And what is that? The last verse. Yeah, they'll always have descendants standing before the Lord. A wonderful promise because they've been faithful to the command of their ancestor, Jonadab. And he was faithful to God. It's obvious from the story with Jehu that he was a God-fearing man. Any questions or, or other comments on our section? No. I just thought if they dwell in tents, the idea is they travel around a lot. They're sojourners. Right. And that would mean that they really couldn't tend the um, grapevines. Right. Yeah, well, that's true. The grapevines would have tied them down, just like owning a house would. Yes, and that might have been the issue. All right. Appreciate everyone's help.